You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Panel, And today I have the honor of interviewing Dr. Romy Mushtak, who has just published a wonderful book about our busy brain. And so we're going to have a conversation around that topic today. And Dr. Romy, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. Jeanne-Marie, an honor to be of service to join you and I really want to thank all of your listeners. I don't take anybody's time for granted and that there's a higher purpose or reason they were meant to pop in and listen to this episode. Definitely. I love that. So I always like to start with having my guests define what the art of parenting means to them. Hmm. I would hope it starts with showing radical self-compassion to yourself first in all the peaks and valleys and neutral moments of being a parent and then finding that radical compassion that was in within yourself to give it to your child or whomever you are parenting because parenting looks so different in today's world as we record this podcast and um you know people whether they have adopted children they are a um, you know, a bonus parent to a child. They are an adopted mother, father-like figure. So I want to honor that. And that in a child's most lowest of valleys, can you also honor that self-compassion? And that would be where I start. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And and it is so true to be self-aware as we parent, you know, whether it is our biological child or not. It's so, so important. So thank you. Uh, now, before we get uh, started in our conversation, I would love if you could share a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Well, you know, I start by honoring my parents. Uh, I am the proud daughter of immigrants. My parents came here from South Asia and my dad in the late 1960s when there was a shortage in the United States of doctors and engineers and scientists in the U.S. and he was recruited from his medical school. So my dad is a doctor and my mom came a couple of years later when they got married and I am the firstborn of three children and the only daughter. And my success mantra was given to me a prayer and intention by my father in the newborn nursery and every day after that. And it was as simple as this, Jean-Marie. I have one daughter and you will become a doctor. 
<laughs> and it was the job of my mother and my aunties to execute, help to execute that mission and mission accomplished. I proud, uh, you know, product of the public education school system here in America in a small town in Illinois and went to medical school and became a neurologist at a time in America where less than 5% of the brain doctors in the country were women. And that is the start of my journey that we can unpack together. That's, that's beautiful. And, and what a, you know, what a gift your father gave you. And at the same time, kind of a, a big, like a big responsibility in a ways, but you followed through. I didn't see it as a responsibility is the interesting thing. As a, as a child, it was a intention that was set for me and it was a bar and it was, I, I see my father, you know, in chapters five through nine of the busy brain cure, I purposely curate stories in addition to my father of other male allies and mentors and sponsors that made me the successful woman I am today. And so I think that is a, a model of a father being a mentor, sponsor, ally deep to his soul and heart. And they set an intention and it was an intention of excellence and I knew no difference. So when that environment was set for me, I flourished in it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you never had a doubt in your mind that that's what you wanted to be was a doctor? Oh, gosh, no, no. Could we be real? I had moments in childhood. My, you know, I have a firm believer for young girls that if you can't see it, you can't be it. And my sheroes growing up were Connie Chung, Barbara Walters and Oprah Winfrey. So I was uh, very much Jean-Marie, I would tell my mom and my aunties, I'm going to be on TV one day. And they would be like, no, they will never let a brown girl, Asian girl on TV. Are you out of your mind? Oprah <laughs> is lucky. No, no, you you go study. You're going to be a doctor. And and then I had a, a, a period in my life where I thought being a flight attendant would be so glamorous and travel the world dressed up in, in clothes. And, and I did have a moment in the fourth grade. Here is something else about my childhood that will tell you I was never that stereotypical girl that was taught to, even if my cousins and girls around me were dreaming of the day they get married and their white wedding dress, I was thinking of career milestones, especially one that you and I are celebrating today, the launch of my book, The Busy Brain Cure by coming out with HarperCollins. And, and, and so when you think of childhood dreams, I'm living them. I now have a platform where I do get to, as a doctor and thought leader in workplace wellness, share my mission on television. I've written a book. I travel the world speaking for a living or visiting friends and family. And so sometimes as children, intuitively, we know what's going to happen in the future. Even if our elders are, no, no, you are going to be a doctor. And our other prayer is, oh God, will somebody marry you with your big mouth one day? <laughs> oh yes and and that that is so beautiful you really manifested the the life that you you wanted which is beautiful yeah whether it's manifesting or just intuitively you know as children we intuitively know so much and then the adult world will squash that angelic voice that's in us isn't it mm. i'm glad you kept yours loud and clear oh, wonderful so so tell us a little bit about this book that you have just published, The, the Busy Brain Cure, The Eight-Week Plan to Find Focus, Tame Anxiety, and Sleep Again. I mean, it just sounds like a 
wonderful <laughs> book. It is my intention for every parent that is listening. And John Ray, and we will get you a copy um, so you can preview it. And it really shares my story because whether your job is being a parent, whether it is working outside the home or a combination of both of those jobs, we can love what we're doing and still have mental health challenges and burnout. And in around 2007, 2008, we didn't have this vernacular in the workplace, even in healthcare, that you're struggling with your mental health or burned out. All I knew was I was suffering and having difficulty focusing, feeling anxious because of a lack of sleep, of, of being a doctor and the specialty that I'm in. And it caught up. And if people have watched my TED Talk, and we'll include that link here in the show notes, they know the story is the chronic stress and burnout got to me and manifested as physical illness. And I ended up in life-saving surgery in 2010. Wow. And I remember laying there in the hospital. And now I had wishes fulfilled. I had become the doctor that my mother expected me to marry. And now I'm a patient. And I remember laying there in the hospital out of surgery thinking, nothing I've learned in my adult skills or in medical school is going to help me now. What am I going to do? And it was the darkest and the most loneliest place, despite having loving family and friends, Shinmari. And so knowing that sent me on a lifelong journey, what I thought was for myself to get out of my mess. And I say today, I'm here with this book. I had to travel through my mess to help you heal yours. And we have a crisis in the West and globally, really, but especially the data in the West of chronic stress and burnout and the demands that are simultaneously happening at work and at home and never seem to exist. And nobody wants to hear, oh, Jean-Marie, just eat berries and breathe and everything's going to be fine. And look at some more Instagram reels of puppies playing with babies and you'll feel better. And I knew I had the solution and we researched it and here it is to actually help people with an eight week protocol. And can you, in in a nutshell, kind of describe a little bit about this eight week process, or I'm assuming it's an eight step process, and and, yes. and how you came to? Yeah. yeah. Can we first start with a busy brain? Sure. And ask, yes. ask your listeners: Do they resonate with this? Is that do you wake up feeling like you don't have a personality unless you have? A large amount of caffeine. You'll tell Jean Marie and I on, on social media that it was a venti latte, but really it's a few energy drinks. <laughs> and then you start your day at home, at work, or a combination of both, and you can't focus. And you wonder if you have attention deficit disorder or ADD. You didn't have it as a child. And why is it taking you 72 minutes to get a task done that should have been done in under seven minutes? And your to-do list is multiplying faster than you can get to it. Oh, but you remember this podcast you listened to. So you're going to go home and do self-care and focus on your sleep and you get home and you can't take the edge off. You can't stop obsessing about work. You feel like you need a glass of wine, a prescription sleeping pill. You put your head down on the pillow and there's 72 warring conversations in your head. That's a busy brain. Clinically, it's a pattern of neuroinflammation in the brain that leads from chronic unchecked stress that leads to these symptoms, difficulty focusing or adult onset ADD, attention deficit disorder, anxiety, and insomnia. And that's the pattern that we found in talking to thousands of people when I was doing keynote lectures in our research, most of whom are parents, whether of young or grown children, 
who are suffering this and wanted answers. And the last thing they wanted to be told was, it's time for a self-care sabbatical. Have you considered a four-hour work week? Because the people you and I serve, that's not a reality. Right, right. And and for me, like those are kind of cookie cutter, you know, solutions. And I think we, we all have different brains if, yes, right. I mean, we all, we're all differently wired. So what might work for you is not going to work for somebody else. Absolutely. I use this kind of story in chapter four of puking on my Prada when you know, you've hit rock bottom and then there's yet life gets even worse and the news can get even worse. And it's just like a couture dress one size doesn't fit all and neither does that solution work for curing a busy brain. So we needed to research it, find a solution that could feel individualized, yet be able to scale it to large teams. And that's what we wanted to do. And that is what comes into the eight-week protocol. The the busy brain, the way you described it for me, also feels very much a society that has just gone a little crazy about, you know, having to be so productive and so forth that we don't have kind of this, this notion of slowing down. So I'm, I'm of European descent. I'm, I lived in France for many years and, you know, and I can see like the difference between my siblings, for example, who are still in France and who have five weeks paid vacation every year. That's just, that's just the law. Unheard of. Right. Unheard of. I, I, I love my European colleagues. I, I do. And let me ask the follow-up question because in addition to being a doctor, I'm a chief wellness officer to a company of 7,000 employees. Do individuals in France use the five weeks of paid vacation? Oh, yes. Yes. See, that's a problem here in the United States. You may be lucky if you have tenure to get two to three weeks paid vacation and most people don't use their vacation time. Oh, no, it is. It is like so respected and so important. And and I see like, you know, I actually try to go back to France every year and spend those five weeks, for example, with my with my father, because I know oh. that these are precious moments. And I know that here, you know, you see on social media kind of, you know, kind of people who have businesses and who just go on and on about how they were able to take a week off and everything that they did to take this week off. And I'm like, well, we ha- I think we might have things a little, you know, wrong here in the sense that we're not honoring the it's fact challenging. that- It's challenging. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. It's a, it's a cultural issue. But Jean-Marie, may I tell you something is during the pandemic and even now I speak to global teams, um, largely US or UK based companies. And when people are part of a global workforce working on different time zones, even though my colleagues in Europe do so much of a better job, as you mentioned, taking days off and trying to have boundaries to play, the busy brain still exists. And in fact, before the book even went to publication in the US and Canada on uh, January 9th, it is not common, but clearly this topic was resonating because the book is being released in United Kingdom, Australia, the European Union, China, Turkey. Uh, they're negotiating the Middle East as we record this podcast. So, uh, you know, there's something to be said that this is a universal problem of chronic stress. Yeah. May I ask where in France you're from and you, where your father lives? So he he's in, in Paris and in Burgundy. We have a family home in Burgundy. Oh, my gosh. Lovely. You know, um, 
my shoulders just released thinking of it. My friends here in the United States, a little bit older and worked to, like you said, the American way until they couldn't, they, every last drop of work was squeezed out of them. And their dream was to retire in France. And they live in the Loire Valley in Frenet de, de Suisse. And it is beautiful there. And I think of my time traveling there, it takes me four to seven days just to unwind my busy brain and to stop the need to check emails, even though I have an out of office on and, and adapt myself to the pace of sacred life there, um, of going to the market and buying the fresh vegetables and meats and having those moments of deep presence with food in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so important. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so yes. Yeah, so let's go back to, to the eight week kind of path to, or, or plan to find the, this focus and, and to let go of the anxiety and sleep soundly because we know, we know how important sleep is. Can you just in, in a nutshell kind of go through maybe what these eight weeks would look like? Absolutely. First, week one, and that's chapter 10 in the book, we invite you to take the Busy Brain Test for free. And we'll give you a link for Jean-Marie's show notes to click and take the test. We want you to get your brain score and, and ask your busy brain, is it below a 30, which is excellent? Only 6% of people who take the test are here. You're in your brain power. Or is it above a 30? And that's an opportunity to cure a busy brain. So number one, know your brain score. Number two is set an intention and really um, be mindful of what your hope is for your brain health and your physical health. You know, because often when people don't know, they just feel something was projected onto them. Oh, the doctor says I need to lose 20 pounds. I guess I need to, I don't know, diet. I don't want to go on another diet exercise and nothing happens. So really be intentional about what you desire. And then chapters 11 through 14 take you through the first half of the protocol, which is to restore your circadian rhythm or your, and your, not your sleep-wake cycle. So to bring, help you fall asleep and stay asleep. And I want to be mindful to those listening who have small children who wake up. Well, you can ask me about that in a second. Um, but also to do that and to calm anxiety levels. And then chapters 15 through 17, 14 through 17, I'm sorry, go through how to boost your daytime energy and find that focus and energy and, and that. So that is what the eight week protocol is. And it is simple brain shifts or micro habits. Everyone can do no matter how much is on your plate and to help improve your brain score so that you can find focus tame your anxiety and sleep again. And when you say uh, micro habits, these are like, are they, are they to do with nutrition? Are they to do with, you know, exercise or is it, is it an, another type of protocol? Another type of protocol. Thank okay. you for asking because we were in the middle of a global pandemic and working with teams virtually. And I need to tell you, Diet is a four-letter curse word in the brain shift community. Okay. And so the last thing I want anyone to think is I'm coming on here with a diet plan. We know whatever, quote, fad diet plan that is out there, that if it is not in your nature to eat that way, 
it actually increases chronic stress levels and will create trauma memories around foods you typically love. The second thing is I'm a chief wellness officer in a company of over 7,000 diverse employees. Most of the quote unquote diet plans that are peddled here in the United States do not honor the foods, ancestry, religious cultures of and family memories of of a diverse background. Mm-hmm. So true. And, and that is why that's harmful. So this is not a diet plan. These micro habits were researched to stack upon one another week after week to actually help calm the neuroinflammation in the brain that causes a busy brain and improve symptoms. So they were specifically researched. Do you have, do you have a favorite of these habits? Um, you know, I don't call it a favorite. They go in chronological order. Okay. So, In week 11, you get the seven-day sleep challenge that is based on microhabits and cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. And you example is to set a regular time to sleep and get up is the example. And we have other things to do to help create restorative sleep. Example is, is to take your work computer and work desk out of your bedroom. (laughs) <laughs> oh, definitely um, possible, no. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. I, I mean I'm mindful for people that live in small apartments and spaces and work from home but to the best of your ability consider shifting that and so we do that and we recommend supplements to help people to sleep and manage that anxiety then it goes into doing digital detox and not picking up a phone, an e-reader, your laptop, the smart TV, every chance you have. And after that, we teach you how to take a brain pause during the day and at night to reset the nervous system. So it's specifically designed so that you're now not wired and tired, but you're actually falling and staying asleep. So that's the first half of the protocol. Ask me questions about that. And then we'll go into the second half, which is your daytime energy and how you use food to fuel yourself. Well, first, before asking you, I just want you to, I just have to share that this summer I was in France for eight weeks and I was actually on a digital detox for eight weeks. I wow. deleted, I deleted all of the social media apps off of my phone. Wow. And yeah, and it was, it was like, and so- now what about, what about work emails? So work emails, I actually slowed down. I actually put my podcast on a pause. I, I had you know, I had plenty of interviews, I could have kind of done them ahead of time. And I was like, No, that's kind of cheating. I'm, I'm on a digital detox, I want to be fully uh, on detox. So I put an out of office message, I do have a virtual assistant who has my back. So you know, I, I did do a little bit of work, but I really intentionally set that down, I think, a bit to, you know, for myself, for my nervous system, but also to respect my time with my father uh, and to try to be a role model to the younger generation that, you know, my my nieces and nephews and my own children, that we can live without our phones, right? Because I think we're, we're, we're glued to them. And, and, and I know for me that that's something that I'm very concerned about, especially for our younger children that we, you know, there's just too much of yes. digital. And you, said, you said it yourself so well, Jean-Marie. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. My apologies. But you said it so well in that um, you were modeling this for the younger children in your home and that 
whether you lead a team or whether you're leading your family, people follow our actions and not our words. And, um, you know, in my world in digital detox, we just ask for 30 to 60 minutes prior to bedtime. But that also includes for your listeners, e-readers and the smart televisions and laptops. So it's all of that. So it's finding the rituals that you can do to calm all five of your senses or nervous system without using a digital device. Now, if you're going to play music, fine, but don't use that as an opportunity to pick up the phone and simultaneously scroll social media or double check emails. Right. And, and reading, just reading an actual paper book, that's fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I, my perfect world, we would make libraries a cool place to hang out again and, and bring back more bookstores, you know? Yes. That is one thing I really enjoy about my time in all throughout London is any street you're walking on. In addition to finding a pub, you can see a bookstore. And I miss that here in the United States. When I was growing up, uh, going to the library was something also that I really love that my my mom and aunties taught us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, beautiful. So, so yeah, so going back to what you were talking about the the brain pause and all that, I and I'm and I apologize, I kind of drop the what I was supposed to ask you afterwards, <laughs> you were talking about that that first period and, and kind of those micro, micro habits, and then what comes next? Yeah. So what comes next after that, once we've restored sleep, it's what do we do to boost your daytime energy? Okay. And I want you to be able to eat. So when I go, when I go back to Fernay uh, Sersurth, I, there is a lovely woman who runs the bakery walking distance from my friend's home. And I want nothing more than a croissant. And I maybe buy two, one to come back and have coffee or and share some extra croissants with the people in the home, but one that I probably eat as I'm walking back because they're so delicious and fresh. I don't want you to deny yourself anything, but the idea is, is you choose one or the other. You either choose a high glycemic carbohydrate, which is white sugar, white flour, white potatoes, white rice, or you choose caffeine, not both. And that's actually, you know, fueling a busy brain, revs up sugar, revs up caffeine, creates inflammation in the brain will promote anxiety. So we don't want that. And I'm not going to take pasta or rice or those thing cookies away, but then no caffeine for an hour before or after that. And what we found in the protocol was most people want their caffeine And once they were sleeping in the first three, four weeks of the protocol, the sugar cravings went away. So I'm not taking away foods such as I I think of how many amazing dishes in France may involve various type of potatoes. I'm of South Asian descent. We love rice, but have that, but then no caffeine for one hour before or after that meal. So so, that's, so it's the mixture, it's the mixture of those two is what you're saying. It's the okay. mixture of the two because Uh, We know alone high glycemic foods will raise your blood sugar and strain insulin. Not only is that high risk for metabolic syndrome and diabetes, that is dangerous for the brain and promotes neuroinflammation in the brain separately than what's happening in the pancreas. So what we want is if you're going to chew and adding caffeine will um, kind of light gap, put gasoline on a fire and make that worse and make the high high and quick and make your crash even deeper. And then you crave more caffeine and more sugar. And you know, how many listeners are shaking their heads up and down? Oh my gosh, yes, I I wanted more. Whether it's a sugary soda or cookies with chai, whatever that caffeine is. And so the idea is choose one or the other. And then in week 16 of the protocol, 
we introduce you to putting a healthy fat with every meal and we help you make a list of ones that are digestible to you. Those two things biohack your energy and give you sustained energy during the day, while we're also checking labs to look at what the neuroinflammation may have done. And that's another issue. And we can get to that in a second. So bottom line, I hope your listeners are celebrating and saying, wait, this brain doctor is saying, I don't have to be on a diet. I just have to be mindful of when I'm timing nutrients throughout my day. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. very, very, and it, and it's interesting because I just learned also about kind of the the whole glucose spikes. I don't know if you've you've been yes. following, um, yes. you know, the, this French uh, biochemist who's been explaining kind of about how to uh, the foods that can go together and so forth, so that we avoid these glucose spikes. And, and, and like you were saying, it, you know, brings on fatigue and brain fog and all of that. So, so I love how science helps us, you know, uh, over the years, kind of, like you say, biohack, you know, we're, we're the, the generations to come are just, it's going to be so awesome. Like they know all these, they're going to know all these things. Thanks. Thanks to you and your colleagues. I, I, I hope so. Right. But that at the same time that our culture isn't deteriorating, that we're feeding into this mental health and chronic stress crisis that is happening globally and mm-hmm. and and affecting the workplace and so it's a double edged sword and really my dream be, and you know my work is primarily in giving keynote lectures to corporations and running our 8 week program inside companies and you know we will now offer it to the public as well with the book coming out but my my wish is that we're actually transforming the cultures of the workplace and at, to your point, when people are given vacation, they are encouraged to take it. They are not expected to be online answering emails and doing work at nine, ten o'clock at night. Yeah. And I think actually when you when you say that, I'm reminded that there was some law that was trying to be passed in France where you cannot email your employees over the weekend. Or or even after a certain point in the evening yeah. as well. And to me, that's just setting boundaries. Like that's, we, yes. we need to protect our family time and our personal time and so forth. So, yeah. Okay. And then, and then are there more, more steps to this once we've, we gain the sleep, kind of have this uh, knowledge of, of nutrition and how do the nutrients that help our brain uh, focus? What, what would be the following steps? Thank you so much for letting me know. So really, it's most people are feeling better by now. But if you've been living with chronic stress for a while and the circadian rhythm is off, not only does it affect sleep, but it can affect your hormones. And that is what and other markers of inflammation. So we highly suggest, but we don't force people to, you know, get labs done. And so that we can look and heal the root cause of what may be fueling your busy brain and burnout. So two key things I want parents, I want, especially new mothers. Could we highlight that on your podcast? I know people are parents of children of every age group, but I think of new mothers that you have a child in the first maybe two to four years of life. One thing that is just hurts my heart and my brain as a female doctor is we are finally having conversations about postpartum mood symptoms and metabolic and hormonal issues, but thyroid disease is getting missed in women in the United States. It is estimated that one in eight women in the U.S. is walking around with subclinical hypo, low 
hypothyroidism or autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And doctors only check one lab, a TSH, and that can come back as normal if they don't do the full thyroid panel, which is listed there in chapter 17 of the book, as well as in the appendix, um, the labs, then there's an issue and it can get missed. And we know when a woman has given birth, it is a additional stress. I will say not in a negative way, but there is additional usage of her thyroid to maintain the pregnancy healthy and the birth and that it is a vulnerable period for a woman's thyroid. And so really that is a message I have. If you're listening to this and you gave birth to a child in the last two to four years, please go advocate with your doctor and demand that they check a full thyroid panel. So this, when you say full thyroid panel, you can ask your doctor to to do that. It's available for everybody? Yes. And in the United States, it is covered under insurance. Now, if you walk in, Jeanne-Marie, and you, you tell the doctor, here's the podcast that I heard them talking about <laughs> on, insurance may not cover it. But if you go in and say, I'm anxious, I'm having difficulty losing weight, my periods aren't regular, my hair, my skin, all the things please check my full thyroid. And by the way, if they give you a hard time, give them a copy of this book or a link to this book because chapters five through nine are filled with science and chapter um, seven, chapter six, I'm sorry, specifically deals with a thyroid and all the medical journal articles that are quoted are there for your doctors. Um, so please hand them a copy of this book or give them a link to buy it on Amazon. It is going to be available globally, worldwide on Amazon. And it, it, the justification is there. And if your doctor is not listening, then please find a new doctor. Honestly, I bluntly tell you that because women are so poorly served globally in the medical community. It's why we need more women doctors. Yes, definitely. And and that's a whole whole other episode, but the whole maternal maternal care, especially in this country, is just it's outrageous that we're, we're and and why we need more um, people with your knowledge and your passion as as a doula and helping and birthing. It, it's there's just so much to be said, but really for a busy brain, mental health, chronic stress, burnout that can happen. You love your child, you love your job. Please, please go have a full thyroid panel check. Okay, perfect. Anything else that you want to add to to this, or have we kind of wrapped up the the whole plan? We have wrapped up the whole plan. Okay. So just so I'm clear, we're first, we're identifying if we do have a busy brain where we're kind of taking the the test, the basic brain test, then we're really focusing on our sleep and kind of the habits around that. We're looking- And restoring our whole circadian rhythm, really. So your sleep-wake cycle of what you do to rest in the night and what you're doing to energize in the morning. Yes. Are you pro or con naps? It really depends. There isn't like, like a couture dress, there isn't a one size that fits all. And so I am blanking. There is a gene that some people have that if they nap, it will disturb their circadian rhythm. Uh, and other people who can take short 20-minute naps or 60-minute naps and feel restored. So it depends. The second thing it depends on is I'm mindful of any parent that is getting up with a small child or a child who may not be feeling well frequently throughout the night. And if you have a chance to nap during the day and catch up on sleep because you did not have a, a full restorative six to eight hours of sleep at night, please do so. So it really depends. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big napper. I mean, it depends on the season, but a 20 minute cat nap will definitely 
Jean-Marie, I I can't go down for 20 minutes. If you tried to wake me up after 20 minutes, I would wake up disoriented. And then I need a full 60 to 90 minutes. And then normally I have a hard time sleeping that night. So I, I crave a nap, but it will disturb my uh, entire brain shift protocol if I nap. Interesting. Interesting. Well, wonderful. This has been delightful. I have learned quite a bit and, and I'm excited about, uh, getting my hands on your, on this book and, and reading more about it. It's, um, it's been really great. Any, like, I know you've been, you know, focusing on talking to the parents listening, any advice that you would have for, raising our children to not fall into this trap of the busy brain? I am a firm believer about how energy transfers being also, you know, mindfulness teacher. And I, I'm going to go back to something I think I've said already is we worry about our children and that is love and that is beautiful, but really help your busy brain so that there is an environment that is feeling calm to your child. A child of any age can sense your anxiety, your difficulty focusing. And no matter what age they are, they may not have the words, but human nature as a child is internalize it. Did I do something wrong that mom or dad is feeling this way? And so my complete plea is take care of your brain first. And, and really that that is what I want to say from there. Um, I, I know so many people listening are like, well, what about ADD and technology and children? And even you've brought that up. And to your point, that's a whole other episode. My research, I want to be clear in the Busy Brain Cure book, is meant for adults. The, the child's brain and digital devices is an entirely different topic. It's like um, discussing oranges and elephants. They're two completely different topics and pathologies. So yes. Yeah. But, but uh, to your point, I think that, you know, you're saying model these good habits and, you know, children pick up on them. So. And, and heal. Exactly. And, right? and so when your score is under a 30 and you are, what would that energetically feel like in the home to a child? Then? Right. Right. Well, beautiful. Well, this has been uh, delightful. Thank you, Dr. Rami. Any, any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I do. I wish someone had said this to me when my score was through the roof as a busy on the busy brain and I was sitting in the surgeon's office and they were preparing me that I may need more than one surgery and I had lost hope. And if you're listening to this and you feel alone and you've lost hope, I'm telling you what I wish someone had said to me. Your brain is not broken. Your mind is not a mess and your spirit did not depart your soul. Just take our hand and let's brain shift together. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Rami, for, for coming on the show and sharing your experience and your wisdom. Such a blessing. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.